gonna drop the ball. Um, so that is one of my favorite Christmas songs um, that has been introduced is Come All You Unfaithful. And uh, today I, I feel unfaithful as I stand here um, because this text today will be in Colossians 1, 24 through 26. Is written to the church. Like, he calls out the church four different times in this passage, and it's to me. It's to you. And, um, and it is very pertinent, um, I believe. And so, as we look to this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. God, we, uh, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that uh, your word is here and we can open it up. And despite uh, all the things humanly possible to drop and to give up and to forget and to know, Father, your word is inerrant. Today, your word will go forth. Today, your church will hear your word. Despite what the one behind the pulpit is and who he is, despite what all other things have gone on, um, Father, may your word go forth and may it not return void. It's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. All right, so I have entitled today's sermon for the church. Uh, one of our SBC uh, seminaries has a slogan, tagline, motto. I don't really know what they call it, but it's for the church. And what they would say is what they are doing in that seminary, everything that they're doing, when they're raising up ministers, when they're teaching, and it, it's ultimately for the good of the church. Like they are raising up ministers for the church. They're not raising them up so that they can make a name for themselves. They're not raising them up so that they can do the, it is for the church. And so everything that they have says, says it on there. It's for the church. And today, um, that is what I think we see a little glimpse of Paul and his ministry and how he views the church. Uh, it's a, um, it, it's pretty telling, actually. Uh, he He's talked about Christ up to this point, and here in just a second, we're going to back up and read some of what we've already gone through, and then we're going to get to this uh, section. So I'm going to read verses 15, starting in verse 15, and I'm going to read to 29, but I'm reading this first section because we're going to make a point. Um, when we get to the second point of today's sermon, uh, I'm going to refer back to this. So I want us to read it. Uh, so if you hang in there just for a second, verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, we're going to start there and read all the way to the end of the chapter. So verse 15, He is the image of the invisible, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In our focal passage, we're going to focus in on 24 through 26. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden of ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles or the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All right, I'm not going to get to that last part. We're going to save that for next week, 27 through 29 there. But we're going to focus in on 24, 25, and 26. And if you're like my wife who nudged me right as I got up here, she's like, I hope you're going to talk about the first, the second half of 24. She's like, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so i like, yes, that is that we are. We're going, to, we're going to talk about that. But there's actually part of that before we get there. So we have four things, and there's four mentions of the church here in these three verses. Um, The first one, Paul is rejoicing in suffering for the church at Colossae. It says, for now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. So he's specifically talking to the church at Colossae, and he said, for your sake, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. So if my Sunday school class were standing up here they would immediately tell you all about rejoicing because they've heard it for weeks. Like we, I don't know, we spent a month on two verses in the book of James talking about count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness must complete its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything that's not one translation i memorized that in some multiple translations so that's some conglomeration you won't find that in your bible anywhere um so but it's really close but so what we see there in james count it all joy so there's there's this rejoice so that rejoice is a a verb right i mean in to rejoice you're 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 showing joy that's that's what rejoicing is. Um, the joy is the noun, and so we have this these words here, and they're all over Scripture, and they're they're 
in all these different places. And I want to look at Acts chapter 5, and you can turn there if you want to. It's toward the end. Verse, I'm going to read verses 40 and 42. But the apostles in Acts chapter 5 um, had been arrested for preaching the gospel. And the, magistrate, the, the council had put them in jail. And then the Lord did a miracle, and he let them free. And they went directly to the synagogue and started teaching again. And they, the council kind of woke up and said, well, wait, what happened? Why are they here? They go to the jailers are like, we don't know. He, they're just there. They, they're not here anymore. Um, and so the council gets together. They call the apostles back in. And in verse 40 of chapter 5, it says, And when they had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And 41 says, And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so here we see the apostles considering it joy that they were able to suffer this. They, we, they were able to go through this for the name of Christ. It's not and dissimilar at all from what we see Paul saying. He's like, I'm rejoicing for the sake of of what God is doing through me for your sake. God is doing this in my life for your sake. I have done these things. I have become a minister. Right up in the end of verse 23, says, I, Paul, became a minister for your sake. I am rejoicing in all of the suffering. Now, I got to preach uh, several weeks ago, and we mentioned Paul is writing this book from where? prison like he he's under house arrest he's not able to leave his house uh, a papyrus has had to come and is probably arrested with him now because of what's happening he's he's in the house with him they're arrested they're they're suffering because of what they were doing for the lord and he's saying i rejoice in that suffering i i'm i'm finding joy in that second corinthians 7 says He's writing to the church at Corinth at this time. said, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. And I've already read or said, quoted to you, James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness must have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete complete lacking in nothing like we see this idea in scripture that whatever is going on in life we have we can have joy i i told my Sunday school class as we read that james passage that um scripture is not telling us to be psychotic like you're not supposed to go, ha, 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 I'm arrested. Ha, 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 
That's not what it is. In fact, we see in Scripture all over the place that emotion is very real. Um, We see that anger has come out, and Scripture tells us, be angry, yet do not sin. Uh, It says to mourn with those who mourn. The Scriptures are not telling us to be devoid of what some would call negative emotions or or what we would, you know, sorrow. Like, it, we, we can't, we're not devoid of those things. We are in the middle of all of that to look to what God is doing. I mean, in the middle of Paul being arrested, he's not sitting around dwelling on his circumstance, but he's looking what God has done through all of it. He's looking to the end. He's looking to what God has done. And for the sake of the church, Paul has suffered. And he finds joy in that. James, in verse 2 of chapter 1, counted all joy when you meet trials. Because you know what the Lord is doing through all of it. He's bringing about His purposes. We can find joy in all the things of life. Now, as I was putting this together, because of our study in James, I really wanted to just stay here and talk about this for the next hour and a half, but we're going to move on because Paul is continuing his thought He's like, I'm rejoicing in the suffering for your sake, the church's sake. And then he's filling up in my flesh, in the middle of verse 24, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. Here's the second reference to the church. And this is what Allison nudged me about. This is what we look at and it's like alright what's lacking in Christ's affliction doesn't really sit just right when you read it like what's lacking in Christ's affliction uh, I mean if you're with us on any regular basis as you walk through scripture on any regular basis you, you're not going to hear anything about what is lacking in Christ. I mean, in fact, the reason I read the passages before, I mean, in verse 15 through 20, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that is in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross does that sound like Paul believes there's anything lacking in Christ No, there's nothing lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, that's not even remotely what 
Paul is referring to here. He's not, the afflictions here are not the sacrifice made on the cross. And in all of Scripture, there's no reference to any lacking in the sacrifice of Christ, the work of Christ. We know that from Scripture that the work of Christ is finished. It is done. It is complete. It is for the good of the church. It is our salvation. The good news that Jesus Christ has come. The good news that that Christ's sacrifice was what we could not do for ourselves. There is nothing lacking in Christ. But I think as I read this week, um, John Piper made a very astute observation. And he paralleled this passage with a passage in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, this man named Epaphroditus, and you may remember his name because it's odd. Um, it's he's got a long name, Epaphroditus, and what he was, he was bringing to Paul a love offering that the church at Philippi had collected. So the church at Philippi had brought together, had joined together, had brought together some resources, money. We don't actually know exactly what it was. It could have been money, books, supplies, some combination of all that, and they were sending it to Paul. And they sent it by way of Epaphroditus. Well, Big E here got sick. He, in fact, almost died. In the second chapter of Philippians, verse 27, Paul says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. And so Epaphroditus suffered because of this mission that he was sent on, because of this, what he was taking, this love offering that he was taking to Paul. And Paul ends chapter 2 this way. Verse 30 of chapter 2 of Philippians says, For he nearly died, and that's Epaphroditus, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, if I gather, spend a lot of time gathering a bunch of stuff and make this very elaborate plan to get these resources to you, and then you write back to me and said, yeah, he's risking his life to complete what's lacking in you. Um, okay. Thanks, Paul. Um, once again... Paul is not referring to the gift. He, he's not referring here to what was lacking in the gift. He's like, yeah, you got me all this stuff, but you should have added something. Else. Like that, That's not what he was saying here. What was lacking was them being face-to-face. Well, what was lacking was them being able to give their gift to Paul themselves. This parallel here of completing what was lacking here in Philippians chapter 2 and then going back to our Colossians passage, filling up 
what was lacking. So in Paul's flesh, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. He is in no way saying that there's anything lacking in who Christ is. He's not in any way saying that there is a lack in what Christ has done. He is saying that Paul in his flesh is coming and bringing this love offering to the church. Of what Christ has done for the church, Paul is now tasked with bringing to the church. There is nothing lacking from Christ. Paul is telling us that he is presenting the afflictions of Christ to his church. We are presenting to the world that salvation is found in in losing our life, just as in Mark chapter 8, those that wish to find their life will lose it for the sake of Christ. So salvation is found when we lose our life. Paul is not adding anything to Christ, but delivering to the church the love offering that Paul wished Christ may have delivered face to face, but he was chosen the church was chosen to deliver to the world. The church is God's plan A. It is the vessel that He is using to proclaim the gospel. And in doing so, we fulfill what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So, that's clear as mud. I understand. It's semi-watery mud, though it's not completely gumbo mud. But we just, we should realize that the afflictions that Paul is suffering, he is stating here that he is doing for the sake of the gospel. He is doing for the sake of the church. He is doing for the glory of God to God's people. And he's moving on. So that was the second reference to the church. Um, he's suffering for your sake in the first part of 24. He's filling up for the sake of his body, that is Christ's body, the church. There at the end of 24. And now in 25 of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Once again, referring back to the church at Colossae. And so Paul became a minister by God's stewardship. And there's been a lot in Christendom in referring to stewardship. And there's a lot of things probably going on in your mind when you hear that word, stewardship. Um, most likely, you probably think of money. Uh, when we talk of our stewardship, that, that's a lot of what we talk about. But the word is really made up of, of two words. Um, it's made up of a word that means household and another word that is law. So law and household together is kind of a combo a compound word, um, and it's usually set with the thought of how one handles their household or 
someone else's property. Like that's the, the connotation that it's normally used in. And in this case, God is stewarding all that he owns, which is everything. It's all of it. God is stewarding what he is at. Like he is handling his house. And in doing so, he has chosen that Paul would be a minister and he would do that in a way that was for the good of the church. One day we'll do a larger study on the stewardship of God and and look more fully at what in all of scripture God is doing with his creation but God can and does do what he pleases with his creation God can use a man who was persecuting his church and turn him around to preach the gospel to that church. Just as he did with Paul. It is by God's good pleasure that Paul was a minister, and Paul points out that God used that for the good of the church at Colossae. Paul says at the end of 25, he was made a minister to make the word of God fully known. So according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. In God's stewardship of his creation, he has brought us together, giving us his word to lean on, to learn of him, to hear of Christ, who has given himself up for the church. There's a lot that the church can be about there's a lot that is going on in church i got to sit with um fellow minister this last week and he just talked about all the things that are going on he he talked about his his daily his weekly routine and the the things that are going on in his people's life and the the things of the church the community there's a lot that's happening um there's a lot that happened at North Hills this week. Um, you know, that, there was a lot of things to do this week. Um, and there's going to be more food to eat after this. So y'all stay around and eat some food with us. Um, but in all of the things the church could be about, all of the things that we can do and we might do, how we handle God's word and the proclamation of it is at the top of that list. What is the word of God to this community of believers right here? What, what is this? Is it just something that we reference on Sunday mornings? Is it just something that we say is, ah, that's, that's good, good stuff to think about? No, the, this is the word of God our God the one who has saved us the one who has created all things and by his stewardship we are called to proclaim all of this that we've been entrusted with all of this that we have been entrusted with is his word and it is what we proclaim as gospel 
the gospel truth, the good news. Paul here is once again saying, by God's grace, I am a minister, and it is not for my sake. It is for the sake of God's people, and what is being done here is the proclamation of his word to his people, and that is what is saving them. Looking to Christ, hearing the gospel, and turning to him. And finally, the fourth occurrence of the church. God is revealing the mystery of all to all the saints. In verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. Has it been completely hidden? Well, no. Has, has there been no, no shadows? Is that, that's what we talk about in the Old Testament. There, there's been no reference to the coming Messiah. Well, we read this morning in Isaiah of the coming Messiah. There have been so many moments where God has pulled back the curtain and allowed his people to see And at the right time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He chose the exact moment when Christ would come. Advent is a time where we look to the coming Messiah. He has been looked to for since the beginning of time, since since. All creation has been done. God has been leading up to this moment, and now Christ has been fully revealed. The proclamation of the word that Paul talks about, his being in suffering and rejoicing because of the word, because of his ministering for the sake of the church, his filling up the afflictions for the church, the church has been made, the church has revealed the mystery that has been hidden for ages. So, church, this is why we're here today. We're celebrating, we're worshiping the one who has come to save us. And the references in verse 24, 25, and 26, for, for your sake, for the sake of his body, that is the church, 25, for, for you, and um, finally in 26, it's revealed to the saints. What was written to the church then is applicable today. Sufferings in this world should point us to Christ, and because of Christ, we can have all joy through those trials. We can carry the message of Christ to a world in need. We can complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction. God has chosen in His stewardship His people to be the means of sharing His word and to go and make disciples. 
And lastly, what is hidden from so many and what is a mystery to them is revealed in the person of Christ for those that love him. So today, may we remember to turn to Christ. May, may we remember what Christ has done for us. And those that are still underneath the veil and do not know of this mystery that is Jesus. Hear and respond to Him. Christ has come to save. Turn to Him today. Let's pray. God, You love Your church. You love Your bride. We are not worthy of that love. We haven't lived up to even one expectation. But Father, we can rejoice through it all because of what Christ has done. Because of your great love for your people. Father, you um, you knew the perfect moment to send your Son. And as we celebrate that coming during this time, may we not forget that it was for a purpose. It was for the redemption of your people. God, may you plant that in us in a way that we make that truth known. Make Christ who has saved us, make him known to all the nations. God, may you reveal the mystery to many, 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 many more. May you use us today to proclaim that and see and know those that are turning their hearts to you. God, thank you for all you've done for us, and may you continually get worship from us and everything else that we do this morning. May it be uh, to your glory. It's in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.